and welcome to the 53rd episode of Total Pop Mode, your weekly comedy gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's going on, you alarmingly accurate owl dads? Oh, this is going to be another one where I'm going to have to pause this here, and uh, I'm going to have to stop you there, James, <laughs> and we're doing another zoological expedition. What is a, uh, whatever the hell you just said? So an owl dad is like, it's kind of a cross between a goat and a sheep. Okay. Okay. It's, it's got like big old horns on it. The picture I saw was brown, but it's got a little bit of that fluff kicking about. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really nice that we've kind of turned this into, it's a gaming podcast, but in the very first instance, like top of the thing, we do a little zoological educational bit. Random animals with Mr. Bames. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a little bit left field, but uh, hey, you know, I, I'm learning and uh, I hope our listeners are too. Yeah, there you go. Public service that no one asked for, but we're doing it anyway. <laughs> Coming up this episode, we've got our weekly regular games catch-up, followed by the weekly gaming news, where we talk exciting news about the release of a world-renowned franchise, some space-based speculation, and potential news of a massive update to a household favourite. But before all of that, let's crack on with the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pop Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. So James, as is tradition, I'm going to hand this one over to you. What have you been playing this week? So I've played a couple of things this week. The first thing is what I started last week. Uh, I finished Mars Warlogs this week. Ah, very nice. Yeah, this is the another game by Spiders, right? Yeah, this is the Spiders game uh, where you're a prisoner of war on Mars. Where I had left it sort of last week, we had just escaped with our young friend Innocence and we went back to his hometown to discover that his parents are either dead or missing. Yes, yeah, yeah. and I think at that point you reckoned you were roughly halfway through the game. Yeah, and I was probably about spot on, maybe two thirds of the way through. I will say the last two chapters uh, are just very short indeed. Okay, okay. Very short compared to one and two. Not necessarily a bad thing. Not necessarily a bad thing, but I must say I came away with the impression that this game was uh, not finished. Oh, or, really? Or, like or, was... well, not like that. It wasn't bad. Like That makes it sound bad and it wasn't. It's more like I think they had more ideas, but they didn't have enough time to put it in the game maybe. The third chapter could have been flashed out to be the same length as the first two. Right. It was like significantly shorter. I mean, if the first two chapters took me six and a half hours, like I finished the game within the next three hours with another two chapters. See what I mean? So it significantly dropped off. But that's not to say that it was bad. It was a very satisfying ending to the story. Apart from our young friend Innocence dying. Spoiler. But... 2013 this game came out so i'm not too worried get over it get over exactly. it exactly but i'm glad to, i'm glad that i've completed it because it's one that i started many years ago and never finished and then restarted now um but that was fun glad i've done it uh, i think that now only leaves the technomancer for me to do in terms of spiders rpgs of that sort of ilk there is another one right uh like of orcs and man i think it's called it, it sounds kind of cool like i think you're orcs but it sounds like right, it's okay, yeah. like I, I just don't know. I, I, I've looked at it and I don't really, and I'm not feeling that one as much, but you never know. I like, always like a tale that's told from a different perspective. But the other game I played this week, I didn't actually realize when I picked it up, it only came out, I think about a week ago at the time of recording, maybe two weeks ago. Um, it's a game called Atlas Fallen. 
Oh, okay. That's, uh, yeah, no, that one's absolutely slid me by. What's that about? So you're an unnamed slave. Um, the world has been sort of put into a state of servitude, poverty, and all sorts of evilness by the sun god Thelos. Okay. in this law and say they were like lush forests and stuff they've become desert from the sands can form like various monsters of various shapes and sizes and they just terrorize you because you're working in a caravan to get across the desert to get to the capital city and you're working for the priests of Thelos. so this god Thelos has decided to kind of inflict this on humanity in like a bit of a modern day context are we were we previously living lives like we are now Don't and know, then mate. this has happened to the world or i wouldn't have thought so it's more fantasy-ish based. It's more fantasy, okay. So yeah. we're thinking more kind of like tribes people being punished by a god rather than people going to work on the bus. And basically, through a series of events, you end up having to leave the camp to go and uh, prove yourself. You find a gauntlet that contains the spirit. It gives you crazy powers and you can morph weapons out of the sand. You can slide on the sand to move about. It's really cool. And you get all these various power stones almost that you can put in the gauntlet. It's very Thanos. You can double jump. Um, it's kind of got platformy elements, but it's a um, hack and slash. There's no stamina bar or anything like that. You can sort of free roam, but you do have a health bar. And there's a momentum bar as well, which you just get by hitting enemies and doing combos and whatnot. Right, makes sense. Kind of more like a fury meter. Yeah, that sort of thing. The higher your uh, momentum bar is, the more damage you do, but also the more damage you take. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, you're yeah. working your way towards being a glass cannon yeah. by uh, building momentum. Cool. But then, but then when it's a, there's three stages of it that I've unlocked so far. I don't know if there's going to be more. I'm relatively fresh into it. You do a thing called a shatter attack, which is basically just like a beastly slam attack after a combo. And uh, as your momentum bar goes up, and like the more hits you do and things like that, your weapons grow and get more oh. lavish, and they become more flourishy. That sounds cool. I like whatever that mechanic is. That sounds really fun. And uh, you have two weapon types initially. You have like an axe, which is quite slow-ish and a bit more powerful. You have a sand whip, which I've made my main weapon because it's awesome. Ooh. You can hit like loads of things in a big arc and it's really quick. And then you unlock after a little bit of the game uh, your fists, basically sand fists. Okay. And uh, that's just like really good damage and really quick damage to a single opponent. But I haven't really messed with that too much yet because I'm just loving the sand whip. I mean, this game in general sounds like it's got a whole load of fun concepts built into it. Particularly interested by the fact that your weapons kind of adapt as you build up this momentum system. I think I've just finished the first world. I don't know how many there would be of them. And uh, yeah, the story is going in a really interesting direction. The, the voice acting's not bad you know could be better in certain places <laughs> uh, like they don't necessarily convey what i think should be the correct emotion in some scenes but uh it's good for the most part but the interesting thing is obviously i peruse the steam reviews to because it's mixed right so right, I peruse okay. the steam reviews see what's up the main sort of thing seemed to be everyone saying that you've got this lovely world but it just feels empty and i kind of disagree with that i think there were plenty of encounters with enemies and stuff i never felt like i was just sliding around aimlessly for anything could there be right. a little bit more life in there yeah maybe but at the same time from a law perspective the sun gods burnt the whole planet there's not going to be too much life kicking about outside of the major settlement so it's correct in my opinion but yeah, that's me for this week, man. What have you been up to? Uh, so I've had a bit of a random week myself with this. I'm probably going to mention a couple of titles uh, that you'll probably be surprised that I've jumped back into. Uh, it has been a bit of a all-over-the-place week, so I've got up to uh, a little bit more of Chivalry, and I've also played and progressed Resident Evil 4 just a tiny bit more. But I'm not actually going to talk about those games because there's no real major news there. I mean, I think Resident Evil 4, I probably maybe cleared about maybe two or three more difficult rooms in the game before putting that one down. So the games that I'm going to 
focus on talking about this week is actually Fallout New Vegas, for one. The adventures of Jim Leahy were revived. Nice. Good to see the big man back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always have a good time kind of role-playing as this character, and uh, it's good to pick up his adventures and long let them continue. Whereabouts are you up to? Did you make much headway, or were you just f***ing around? So, uh, pretty much all of this playthrough is is f***ing around, really. Uh, A lot of the progress that we do make is is made via consequence of just randomly stumbling around a lot of the time. (laughs) I'm just lying around, having a couple drinks, relaxing. Um, but you know now that we've found kind of the home of a lot of the missions in the game as well as a lot of the gangs and casinos which is kind of the main vegas strip we're kind of just drunkenly wandering around there and we're just stealing a lot of their booze really and sort of trying to find various ways to hoard it i don't know where i felt like i get a little drink around here do you bud We actually ended up bumping into Benny, voiced by Chandler Bing, also known as Matt Perry of Friends fame. And uh, if you'll remember when the last time we talked about this, he's actually the guy that puts a bullet in your head uh, at the beginning of the game. He was very surprised to see us, I gotta say, after obviously expecting that we would be dead. On revealing ourselves to him, we made sure that we did keep Benny alive. There was no kind of immediate repercussions. I don't think the Leahy would have just kind of pulled out a gun and killed Benny on the spot. And Benny had actually offered him quite a few nice perks for not killing him, such as the ability to access the presidential suite of the casino that we're staying in which is a very lavishly decorated apartment. I was very happy with that. On checking the apartment, it was absolutely stacked with all different kinds of booze, liquor, whiskey, bourbon, wine. And I've kind of like left all of that adorning the apartment. But, you know, as with most things are with Benny, uh, there's always a catch. And he did send a group of his men into the room to rough Leahy up and eventually kill him. Good afternoon, gentlemen. At that point, I panicked and immediately left the presidential suite. Thankfully, Benny's bodyguards didn't follow me out of the room and they kind of stayed in there guarding the place. But at that point, we hit a real low in the playthrough. Uh, Just as things are starting to go right for Leahy, just after he decided to partner with Benny and just to the point where he'd finally got a nice place to live and store all of his booze, it was suddenly stripped away from us sooner than we'd had a chance to actually fully enjoy it, which was uh, a very sad moment. So following that low, uh, Leahy stumbled around drowned his sorrows obviously in every nearby available bar which is a lot on the strip yeah, yeah there's obviously a lot yeah it was kind of a glowing beacon of liquor that uh yeah. that drew us to the strip in the first place and i was thinking where's the best place to go where there's gonna be lots of bars obviously the strip so after pilfering a few more drinks and drowning our sorrows we finally decide to arm ourselves with a gun and sneak it inside the casino and thanks to our skills with a gun and by now our complete hardened resilience to all of the alcohol coursing through our veins <laughs> i was able to actually take out a lot of benny's bodyguards without any issue at that point it was just a case of clearing away the mess and swanning around my reclaimed fancy apartment and i was making sure to absolutely neck loads more bottles of whiskey and things i think i might have had a little bit too much to drink Uh, i think at this point uh you're familiar with the game james but for the listener's sake fallout is the type of game where you can develop various addictions and as a result status effects based on those addictions if you take some of the chemicals or variations of alcohol in the game yeah, shout-outs to Jet and uh, Not Morphine, what's it called? This Medex? Is it Medex? Medex, yeah. yeah. Medex is the pain resistance one, yeah. That's the morphine that they're not allowed to call it. I think it was because to do with age ratings and in like Australia and China and stuff, they had to right, not yeah. have drugs. Actual drug names, yeah. yeah. But the booze names are fine. So I think I mentioned in the previous episode where we picked up this playthrough that uh, Leahy was at that point addicted to all of the available alcohols. Well, I was clearly capping because uh, we had several other variations of the alcohols 
listed up saying you are now becoming addicted to this. So do you know whether it's possible to clear addictions without taking a cure-all or going to see a doctor in the game? Or is that addiction permanently with you? I don't know because I've never been addicted to anything in the games. Right. Because I don't like negative debuffs. Yeah. I would have thought that you'd need to do a cure-all or see a doctor. I wouldn't have thought they'd just go away. Especially if you're carrying on drinking as well. like You know, we probably like start off with a little warm-up of six bottles of beer and then move on to maybe... <laughs> A bottle or two of vodka, some whiskey just to keep the flavours going and then have a nice little couple of wine bowls for dessert. Oh, nice. And what so, would you do in the game? <laughs> anyway, but by the time <laughs> I've done all of that, it gets really hard to play Fallout 4. <laughs> Things get a little woozy at that point. But, uh, you know, believe it or not, we did actually manage to continue through. Playing Leahy in Fallout New Vegas is, is very thirsty work. Let's just leave it at that. So following the success of finding our apartment, there was very much that we really wanted for in the world of New Vegas, except perhaps someone to share it with. And uh, after discovering that you cannot make Benny a companion, and after he abandoned us, Leahy set his sights elsewhere. And actually, through our travels and search for more booze, we actually ended up bumping into Boone, who is a night guard at one of the nearby settlements in the game. And the mission that you need to do to complete him and enable him to be your companion is actually solving a bit of a murder mystery around town where you need to ask various people who was responsible for the disappearance of a couple. And at that point, once you've identified the victim, you need to wear a red beret while standing next to a large, I think it's like a plastic or metal version of a dinosaur, like a cartoon dinosaur. T-Rex, yeah. You stick your beret on and Boone promptly from the mouth of the T-Rex pops a sniper shot and bursts the person's head. Headshot. So uh, at that point, after justice is restored. Or not, because you can get it wrong and you, it's still the same outcome. Oh, you can? can you? Oh, that's cool. Okay, if I'd have known that, I might not have taken quite so much time to actually find the real person. I think at that point we were just looking for Boone to be our companion, and I'm not sure whether Leahy would have done quite such a thorough job as we did, uh, although okay. he is an ex-police officer, of course. Yeah, no, I th I'm pretty sure that there's, like, at least two people you can blame, and obviously one of them's incorrect. It makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. But we completed that mission, we solved the murder, and we finally unlocked Boone as our boyfriend. I mean, companion. You're the best assistant trailer park supervisor anybody ever had. And, uh, I mean, it's basically the same thing at this point. Uh, Boone is following us everywhere we go. And I'm really pleased that Leahy has found his equivalent of Randy in the Fallout New Vegas universe. It almost feels a little bit like, and they lived happily ever after sort of material there, after finally finding his pad, acquiring all of the booze and a lovely love companion. I kind of felt like uh, that was a very nice ending to give Leahy. And playing this on the Xbox One, where it's all been upscaled as yeah. well, uh, you know, is a really fun experience. So uh, I would recommend that if anyone's got an old 360 copy of New Vegas, dig it out and slap it in your Xbox One. It's like playing a brand new game. So, other than Fallout New Vegas, uh, another game that you'll find maybe a little surprising that I've picked up again this week was actually Pokemon Legends Arceus, or Arceus. Ooh. I'm never quite sure, and I don't really care. I always say Arceus. I don't know either, though. I never watched the anime that far. Yeah, yeah. And it just feels weird to say Arceus. 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 <laughs> Pokemon Arceus. Legends Arceus. <laughs> Uh, I don't have like a, a huge, huge deal to say about Arshus, except yeah. the fact that they have fixed some of the weird visual bugs that I got in the very first area of the game. I did specifically go over to a tree that always used to glitch out when I used to play <laughs> it, and it no longer glitches out. And honestly, from everything that I've seen, uh, it's it looks really, really impressive compared to the most recent entries in the Pokemon title series. And I can't say that it runs like a dream. It doesn't run extremely smoothly, but the frame rate drops are kind of fairly insignificant. 
significant in terms of they don't really affect your enjoyment of the game and the game on the whole runs pretty smoothly the only thing i've noticed is occasionally uh and this is kind of like something that reminds me a little bit of old games on the playstation 1 and playstation 2 but you'll notice hills and mountains in the background will occasionally warp and change shape as they render from their kind of low res distance thing to like getting into the closer res main thing but for the most part i mean a lot of the criticisms that were leveled at in terms of violet and scarlet in terms of npcs having like a frame rate of two when they get to a certain distance away from you those issues aren't present in arceus so it's nice to kind of see things like that it doesn't really take you out of the game it's because there's hardly any npcs in arceus <laughs> no there's like lo- there's loads of npcs when i'm walking around the town and stuff like that yeah only there though nowhere else in the game but i mean the fact is is that low frame rate thing happens inside the towns in uh in violet and scarlet yeah for some people yeah i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and say no it doesn't it did it didn't for me as i've already discussed in the podcast those sorts of things like gently pull me out of a game every time i notice them and it would bother me in in violet and scarlet but it's nice to play arceus and just not have those sorts of concerns i would say arceus is less dynamic though arceus i'm pretty sure they all stand still they don't walk around the town that's probably a good point yeah i can imagine that that, uh, yeah or more margin for error sorry Probably, yeah, I can imagine that, that that may well affect the performance as well, just having mobile NPCs. There's still no excuse. I'm not I'm not pardoning it. If you can't do it, don't do it. You know, like better to have stationary NPCs in Scarlet and Violet then. But yeah, I'm still very much into the baby steps of it. I did start the game again because I was finding myself being pretty overwhelmed with all the different menu options and navigation. Yeah, it's funnily enough, I did exactly the same thing a few months ago. Yeah. It's got a very unusual kind of interface and shortcuts in how to get to your things and various menus. So it's kind of odd yeah it was off-putting enough to the sense that i was like i just want someone to tell me how this works again i don't want to have to click here pressing random buttons and try to figure it out and i've been having a good time with it so far it it controls and and plays pretty much exactly the same as before i think that the performance maybe has improved slightly and as i said a few minor visual glitches are now no longer present but other than that we're, we're still very much into baby steps there i suppose that i can say that my starter pokemon i chose was oshawott's for no other reason that he's kind of like a bit of a mix between a panda and a beaver and i and i just dig it oh you're gonna you're gonna be so disappointed in what he becomes (laughs) if that if that's your initial thought of what he is i don't know i just like the little chap he seems like he's got spunk and uh you know me james i love some spunk he becomes like a samurai seal i'll take a samurai seal i think he ends up being called samurai okay well i mean that's a pretty cool name It's, it's, it's not bad this version is a water dark type at the end which is quite neat it's quite cool type i chose uh the cinderquill Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you out of your choice because I think that, so the three options are Cyndaquil, which looks like kind of like a weird four-legged mammal. It's a fire hedgehog. I think it's an echidna, a fire echidna. Yeah. With like, instead of hedgehog spines, it's like kind of explodey flames. Yeah, it's like, it's meant to be like a volcano in its body. So that sort of deal. More violent than like Charmander's flames. It looks more like blasty flames. But but they go down and they stay inside when he's just chilling. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then the third Pokemon, uh, you'll have to remind me, actually. It's Rowlet. That's the one, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. a little owl, and it becomes, um, its original form becomes a, a, a grass ghost type, which is really cool. But this version is a grass fighting type. Okay. So based on types alone, uh, the two options that I didn't pick uh, actually sound like ones that I would more typically go for. Like, I typically go for a fire type, just because I just like fire types. You know, there's not real much rhyme or reason behind my yeah. Pokemon picks. They're typically rarer as well, so a good fire starter type. Twisted. 
is normally a good option if you're struggling on what to pick. I'm not quite sure then what pulled me in Oshawott's direction other than the fact that I just really liked the way the guy looked. Yeah, he, he's cute. He's cute. And his little shell. He's cute and he looks eager to please, which uh, works well for me because I am a tough trainer and I will be working my Pokemon hard in this game. The, and the good thing about Arceus, Arceus, Arceus. is that um, you can pick when they evolve. Like you can kind of do that anyway, but they don't like have an evolving screen. It'll just say thingy can now evolve and then you can choose to do it when you want. Oh, fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you never need to worry about losing a move because you can reteach any moves it learns at any time. It's, it's a cool mechanic. But I won't take up too much time talking about Pokemon Arceus, Arceus, Arceus. <laughs> do all three and I'll just edit in the right one after I make up my mind. No. No, I don't think I will. So I think it's time that we moved on to the weekly gaming news. So our first article up today, gameplay for the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 title has finally released. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 was announced a short while ago with a release date confirmed to be the 10th of November of this year. As of yesterday at the time of recording, we got a proper look at some actual gameplay footage of the campaign which continues the story of Modern Warfare 2. So uh, the footage in this trailer clearly has a bit of a stealth infiltration focus. We see instances of players rappelling around various facilities, scuba diving in terms of making an initial infiltration, and a few interesting looking fighting arenas, some of them that kind of look like large underground cylindrical tunnels with various structures inside them that would make for quite fun areas to fight through. And looking forward to seeing what they do with that. We don't get to see a great deal of stuff going on in the campaign. This very much just kind of feels like they're giving us an overall tone of the game and uh, a little bit more of an idea of some of the characters that are going to be involved. We obviously heard, and it was highly publicized around the time of the announcement for Modern Warfare 3, that Makarov, uh, a main character and antagonist from Modern Warfare 2 is actually going to be back in the game. And the trailer also suggests a little bit of a hint that there's going to be somewhat of a repeat or a reimagining of the controversial no Russian level from the original Modern mm. Warfare 2 as well. For people that aren't familiar, that was a pretty controversial level where you are an American operative uh, who is undercover working uh, in a Russian terrorist faction, and they are currently planning on murdering everyone inside a Russian airport. Makarov puts a bullet in your head because they knew you were an American operative undercover all along, and it kind of essentially kicks off World War Three because the rest of the world find out that an American operative was party to a mass execution in the middle of a Russian airport. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with this one. They did have a no Russian text that appeared on a Phone, and then it appears to be what looks like a hostile takeover of uh, like a 747 or something like that. So, you know, uh, I've got no doubt that there will probably be some controversy surrounding the campaign of this one. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see just how that gets enacted. Interesting that they're potentially going back to the controversial missions because I've played that mission and I didn't think it was that bad, but I can see why it sort of caused such a stir. So I don't think that they're kind of necessarily bringing back the controversial missions because the whole of this thing has felt like vague references just so you can tie the dots together. But then again, even Makarov looks like a very different character in this game as well. This is a reimagining and using some of the familiar IPs, I guess, to make fans of the old series go, oh, it's that guy in terms of marketing, you know? And and hey, No Russian is probably one of the, uh, the biggest Call of Duty memes out there in that sense. So it makes sense to play on those sort of things. And with that trailer, 
Bethesda, we also got some news of the various editions of the Call of Duty release that are available for purchase, and as well as some of the pricing schemes for them. $70, or what I imagine is probably around 50 to 60 UK pounds, will afford you the standard edition of the game, versus the $90, which I assume will somewhere between the 70 to 80 pounds region for GBP users. So that will net you the Vault edition of the game, which gets you a few additional operators, which are Captain Price, Ghost, as well as two other characters, Warden and Makarov. Uh, Makarov obviously being the guy that we spoke about earlier and likely to be the main antagonist of this game. So these are pretty uh, large characters, Price and Ghost being two biggest names on the good guy team as well. You know, I was just about to say it was an odd choice, maybe like holding these guys back considering it's the main lineup, but really it's to get you to buy it, isn't it? You're not going to be able to play as two of the main good guys and the main antagonist of the game without shelling out for this deluxe edition. So uh, make of that what you will. Pulling on those nostalgia strings, baby. Just trying to get people like you get sucked back in. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Price is the guy do. that goes, Bravo 6, go and talk. Oh, so like, you know, what am I meant to do? I can't play the games that dude. So I, I must spend £100 on it. <laughs> But I think that's all of the Call of Duty news I have for the listeners today. I think it's time we moved on to our second article. So this article, fresh from our friends at Game Rant, No Man's Sky teases a huge update. So in a video marking the 7th anniversary of No Man's Sky, developer Hello Games offers a hint at a possible major update coming to the game. As part of the game's 7th anniversary, there's hints at the major update titled Echoes, which is building anticipation amongst fans. The game initially faced backlash for not delivering on its ambitious promises in its early beginnings, but Hello Games has been consistently pulling it back and improving it with expansions and updates throughout the 7 or 8 years that it's been available. The timing of this new teaser may be an attempt to maintain interest in No Man's Sky amid the upcoming release of Starfield, assuring fans that more content is on the way. Or just using the Starfield hype to piggyback some sales for themselves. Yeah, no, I think that that's a good take as well to have. Uh, you know, and it's absolutely right that a lot of comparisons have been drawn together between No Man's Sky and Starfield. Perhaps I think for a lot of the right reasons, although I do feel that ultimately the two games are going to feel and play very different. Incredibly so from what I've seen, yeah. But I think that there are definitely a lot of parallels to be drawn there in terms of uh, some of the procedural generation technology that the team at Bethesda has used to actually generate the maps, albeit that they've then obviously gone over that with a, a much finer look and added in things as well. They've, they've used that as the kind of the building blocks for their universe, as opposed to, you know, the main basis of it like they have in in No Man's Sky. I think that it's cool that this game is still releasing new content. But as to what this Echoes update is, who actually knows? Hello Games recently posted a video to its YouTube channel consisting of clips and images from each of No Man's Sky's major content updates over the recent years. At the end of the video, after a clip from the very recent Singularity update, text appears on screen that says our journey continues, followed by the revelation of a dramatically stylized title card, No Man's Sky Echoes. However, no further information is given after the title card fades, but this teaser strongly implies that a new major update is coming to No Man's Sky under the name of Echoes. Hey, if you're a fan of the game, I know the people that have played it from release to sort of present day, very impressed with the additions they made after all those disappointments right at the start. So if they continue to add quality content, how can that be a bad thing? And I think that this will be a big relief to current fans of the game in terms of the fact that they're clearly issuing the fact that this is just yet another in a continuing series of chapters as part of No Man's Sky. They're going to be consistently updating this for a 
considerable amount of time more. And I think that that will actually go a long way in terms of people that perhaps getting a little bit bored of No Man's Sky, maybe looking to something vaguely similar like Starfield as some sort of way out of No Man's Sky and to finally play something different. Who knows, this Echoes update may well just hook them straight back in. So let's move on to our third and final article of the day. Another article from our friends at GameRant. Huge Minecraft update could be coming soon. That's right, according to new reports, there's a fairly good chance that players will see a huge upgrade for Minecraft sometime in the next few months. What's up with the upgrade parade over here? So Minecraft has actually finally been rated for Xbox Series X and S in Germany, suggesting that a new version for these consoles may also be announced soon. Currently, Minecraft can only be played on the Xbox Series X or S or the PlayStation 5 through backward compatibility. However, a native port would actually enhance the gameplay experience in terms of increasing map size, potential for improved graphics and new technology such as ray tracing. Can we expect to see anything in this upgrade in terms of additional content or is it literally just uh, graphical from what they've potentially announced. From this article it doesn't look like there's any sort of teaser of new content coming and what I would probably assume is that even if that new content were to come they're most likely going to update the older versions of Minecraft as well at least for the foreseeable future until they eventually become fully outdated and they decide to fully focus on the current gen titles but yeah. for the time being Minecraft has been pretty good at being consistently updated across all platforms eventually. Uh, you know occasionally they'll roll out mobile updates later than console or computer updates but a lot of the time they end up getting there anyway so i think that that's a, a little ray of hope in the direction of minecraft and i think that's where we'll leave the news for this week man it's time to work our way towards completionist corner here we go for the completionist's corner We left off last week's episode with a newly revitalised and rebuilt Commander Shepard working with a paramilitary group called Cerberus, led by someone called the Elusive Man. Their mission is to take down an evil, ancient race of aliens called the Reapers who are upsetting the peace of the galaxy. After travelling to a human colony called Freedom's Progress, Commander Shepard and their team learn that thousands of humans have been captured by a secretive race of aliens known as Collectors. It appears now that, in a similar fashion to the Geth we fought in the last game, the Collectors now also appear to be working for the mysterious Reapers. But why are the Reapers capturing humans? And why are the Collectors now working with the Reapers? As we begin to uncover the mystery, we'll pick up our story this week with Shepard on board their ship, the Normandy SR2, perusing the dossiers given to them by the elusive man. The four dossiers we have been provided will guide us to new team members located around the space system in various locations on different planets. Each character we can recruit has a code name assigned to them on their respective dossiers, the Professor, the Convict, the Warlord, and Archangel. We also made aware that there are two other potential team members for recruitment based in and around these locations. And this is a lovely sort of uh, facet of the Legendary Edition. We get the DLC included in the main campaign. It's great. Seamlessly integrated, no less. Very good. Very good stuff. So these uh, other two potential teammates are called Kasumi Goto, also known as the Master Thief, and Zaid Masani, the Veteran. At this point, it is possible to travel to any of the six mission locations to begin recruiting our team. However, we are advised by Miranda, the human Cerberus officer who helped rescue and rebuild us from last week's episode, that we should probably start off by recruiting the Professor, a Salarian known as Morden Solus. 
Using their onboard Galaxy map, our respective shepherds navigate the Normandy to Omega, a mined-out husk of an asteroid home to criminals, terrorists, and general nasty types. Located on Omega is the Professor, known as Morden Solus, as well as another potential recruit, Archangel. Our Professor, Mordin, as James mentioned earlier, is a Salarian, an amphibious bipedal race of aliens that resemble tall alien greys, with heads shaped a bit like a lobster claw adorned with two small dark eyes. That's funny, I, I always thought ants. That's what they look like to me. Yeah, I can see the mandible sort of thing on the top of their head almost. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at it today and I just thought, you know, if you turn that red, or like put like an orange hue on it, that would look like a lobster claw if you took off the eyes. Take another look, Clow. You'll you'll never be able to not see it again. Yeah, yeah, I won't now. Yeah, I didn't know they're amphibious either. Morden's clinic is located in the slums of Omega, and we don't know the identity of Archangel yet, so we'll need to ask around Omega before we can find them. We enter the landing bay of Omega and depart with Miranda and our other Cerberus operative buddy, Jacob. We are immediately greeted by a very shifty character who tries to scam us before quickly being shooed away by the actual greeter. We are told that on landing, all visitors must report to somebody called Aria, located in a nightclub called Afterlife. We need to head to Afterlife anyway, as Edie, the AI on board the Normandy, tells us that they have overheard chatter regarding mercenary groups' plans to attack Archangel, and we compose as mercenaries in order to help us get to him. As we head off to Afterlife, we encounter yet another potential recruit, Saeed Masani, as mentioned earlier, also known as the Veteran. Zaid is in the process of manhandling a Batarian prisoner he is taking in for a bounty, but stops to greet us. You must be Commander Shepard. Hey, we have a galaxy to save. Cerberus has already briefed in on the mission to take on the Collectors and the Reapers, and has been promised a vast quantity of credits if he helps Shepard succeed. There's also a catch, something that the elusive man failed to mention to us in the dossier. Zaid picked up another mission shortly before he was signed up by Cerberus. He has been asked to eliminate a team of mercenaries who have taken control of a refinery and are using slave labour. Shepard reluctantly agrees to help if we find the time. As we part ways with Zaid and he agrees to meet us back on the Normandy, his prisoner attempts an escape, but is promptly shot and incapacitated by Zaid's blaster pistol. I better turn this thing in before it starts to stink. Shepard now has to move on to Afterlife to go meet with Arya. At this point, my Shepard made sure to stop in for a few drinks, ignoring Jacob's disapproving looks, as we knock back several alien alcoholic concoctions. As we approach Arya, we are held at gunpoint by two more Batarian guards, who ask to scan us. Depending on our answer and choices in terms of our different playthroughs, James as a paragon agreed to the scan, and I as a renegade threatened to insert the scanner somewhere extremely invasive and uncomfortable. Try it and you'll be scanning the inside of your colon. Aria agrees to meet with Shepard and they get to know each other a little better. We speak with Aria about where we can find Archangel, and she explains that they showed up several months ago and started creating problems with the three local mercenary factions, the Blue Suns, Blood Pack, and Eclipse. All the trouble has caused the three Merc groups to team up in an attempt to take Archangel down. The Mercs have Archangel cornered somewhere but still haven't managed to catch them yet. The Mercs are hiring recruits to work on their behalf in an attempt to bring Archangel down, and as we were advised earlier, we can use a nearby recruitment station to join and infiltrate the Mercs' attack, with the ulterior motive of rescuing Archangel from the attack. 
Shepard also speaks to Arya about where to find Professor Morden Solus, and she explains that he is located at his clinic in the slums, attempting to help the quarantined locals with a plague problem. Our first stop on this journey will be to help and eventually recruit Professor Morden, although at this point you are free to do the objectives in any order you please. Thankfully, this plague only seems to affect the other alien races aboard Omega, and humans are miraculously immune to infection, meaning we can enter the area without risk of catching the mystery disease. We depart to the zone, and at this point we have the choice of removing either Miranda or Jacob from our party and adding Zaid. Shepard, along with his two chosen party members, then works their way through long corridors filled with echoing coughs and sounds of malcontent. The environment feels oppressive and paranoia-inducing, and we occasionally fight our way past squads of mercenary Blue Suns. The Blue Suns weren't happy with Morden's choice of locating his clinic in the slums, and have been giving him grief since he moved in. And uh, as we're sort of wandering around these... Uh, slummy alleyways and things like that there's a couple of sort of random interactions that can take place the first one that i found at least and i think it's the first one you naturally run into is there's a batarian sort of sat on a street corner dying of this plague yeah he's coughing and sputtering blaming humans for uh, being the cause of it just uh, generally not having a great day i'm really not happy to see us either i as the lovely paragon that i am i actually gave him some medigel and he was very surprised he was like why are you human saving me and then i sent i said to him what i'm gonna do you wait here you're in no position to do anything i'm gonna get to the clinic and i'll send someone to come fetch you and everything will be all right how did you uh, handle the situation, Will? I uh, I just left him to die, and it happened pretty suddenly as well. You, you're given a, a very brief window in this game to give him the medigel, uh, because the way that this comes up, it's, it isn't a straight dialogue decision where you just make that choice. It's one of those interruption mechanic yeah. uh, moments that happens in the game where it flashes up on the screen with a paragon choice. And uh, it did give me the option to save him, so I'm not necessarily sure whether your alliance affects which of the interruption mechanics appear in the game. But but at the same time, I obviously make sure to ignore any of the Paragon ones that are coming up. So pretty much like seconds after missing the prompt, the guy just kind of keels over and dies. And uh, you say something along the lines of he probably wasn't going to give us any useful information anyway. Uh, and then we move on. The interruption mechanics are kind of odd. Some of them it's a renegade or Paragon choice, but some of them you just get the choice. And uh, the second interaction you can have, if you're a lovely renegade or just a Paragon looking to make their way through the world, you'll often go through and loot every single building you you come across. I'm one of these trips to loot a building you actually find some human refugees that are just sort of hiding in their house because people are obviously blaming the humans for the plague and uh i as a paragon said i'll clear a path for you and if you just sort of follow behind us in a bit you can get to the clinic no problem how did you handle it as, as the renegade Will? well that's actually interestingly what i chose to do as well um I, I definitely was pretty forthright with them in terms of the fact that i wasn't going to hold their hand or let them come with us but i did agree to clear a path as well so it's quite okay. interesting there that in both of those decisions you uh, achieve a very, very similar outcome there. It's just a twist in the way that the game's written. I do think I was probably provided with the opportunity to just abandon them there, but I think because I'm curious as I'm playing through, it does make me engage with things, and as I kind of mentioned to you off-pod, I think just by sometimes speaking to people, you can kind of start to progress a slightly paragon path in the dialogue, and there's kind of no turning back from that. So the moment I interacted with them, I locked in the fact that they were going to get saved somehow and then i think you can be more generous with your approach and say don't worry we'll look after you we'll make sure you get back or you can just say i don't have time to babysit follow behind me when the shooting's done that's more of the variation here yeah pretty much the Blue Suns are also fighting in the slums with an alien race called the Vorcha, who were a fairly new arrival in Omega. The Vorcha are similar in concept to orcs from Tolkien-esque fantasy universes both in looks as well as temperament 
They are dangerous and violent, quick to temper, but also quite dim-witted and disorganised. Racist. (laughs) The pair of humans we found earlier told us that the arrival of the Vorture also coincided with the beginning of the plague, and as the Vorture are immune to all diseases, they also happen to be immune to the plague swooping through the streets. Despite this, most of the other residents in the slums have blamed humans for spreading or engineering the disease. After all, it is highly unlikely, even impossible, that the Vorture would have the smarts or the organisational skills to create and spread a disease. Unless, of course, they were being guided by someone from behind the scenes. Shepard and his party finally arrive at Morden's clinic and try to get him to join them in their mission to fight the Reapers and the Collectors. However, Morden is too preoccupied by his work on the plague although he is intrigued by the fact that we are investigating the Collectors, given that if indeed the plague had been engineered, the Collectors are one of the few alien groups with the technology to achieve such a thing. Morden has managed to create a cure for the plague, and needs our help to distribute it, using a nearby environmental control centre guarded by yet more Vorcher troops. Before we go, Morden gives us a powerful hand cannon pistol that we can use to help fight in the next area. Big fan of this pistol, by the way. This does a bunch of damage, and also because it had such a a large increase in damage compared to my SMG, which feels more like I'm kind of just spitting at people gently. It's particularly useful in this section because the Vorture, much like the Krogan enemies in this game and the last, have regenerating health bars. And if you don't do enough damage within a certain amount of time, they're just going to heal back up to full health. A lot weaker than the Kroger, though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Exponentially weaker than the Krogan, but they both have that yeah. shared trait. And using the Magnum on the Vorture is really useful because I think I it was... I love how you're calling it the Magnum. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it basically is, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like a Magnum it revolver kind of, kind of thing. I think it's actually called the Khan Effects, though. So it's got, it's got like a cooler real yeah. brand name but uh, yeah the heavy pistol is the class of weapon but it's a a single headshot kill and um, it's pretty easy to get those in this game or uh, I think two body hits so I was able to eliminate a lot more enemies with that than I was with my uh, SMG but I'm quickly learning is actually primarily used in the game with one of its perks that you can get which means it shreds through shields there is one SMG you can get that's a long range SMG that's really good oh okay yeah I'm intrigued to find that it's called the Locust yeah this is actually probably the um, in my opinion the second best pistol in the game you could use this for the rest of the game it's a very very powerful gun Um, and to get it quite this early uh, it's pretty broken but really cool you are quite limited on an ammunition here though aren't you I think you can only hold about 24 bullets at a time so I was fine myself running out of it enough that I had to treat it a little bit special. Along the way, we can also rescue one of Morden's assistants who is deeper into the quarantine zone and has been captured by two more Batarian mercs. We sort of find him eventually and uh, I took the peaceful option as the Paragon. I talked them down. Do you know what? Even though it was the Paragon option, I think he said something akin to like, you know who I am, you don't want to mess with me. Right, okay. It did feel quite, it did feel quite cool, but it was the Paragon option. And they were just like, yeah, we don't want to mess with Commander Shepard, so we'll go. But you've got to promise not to kill us. Right. And I didn't. <laughs> that, sort of, that sort of deal. What did you do, Will? So in this section, I, I started off being pretty hostile to the two Batarians. I basically just ordered them to relinquish Morden's assistant, which obviously they, they didn't respond very well to with guns pointed in their face. So at that point, I did actually have to make a bargain with them after they were essentially at this point holding him hostage. I finally agreed reluctantly to not kill them, but that was actually a little white lie because the moment that we actually had David in our control, I said, no way, I'm only joking. There's no way that we can really actually trust you. And then they, uh, you know, he, he called me a couple choice words and uh, and I finished off and shot them all. <laughs> 
basically. Yeah, yeah, nice. Pretty standard outcome for a renegade like me. Yeah, just needless violence. It's great. Nice. Anyway, I started blasting. Bah, bah. Unabashed, right. unrelenting, and uh, unrestrained. As we arrive at the Environmental Control Center to disperse the vaccine, we enter a standoff with a Vorture. This Vorture also happens to be a member of the Blood Pack, and they confirm our suspicions that they have been working for the Collectors, in order to spread the engineered plague under the promise that they will be granted great power in return. That old chestnut. We wipe out the remaining Vorture and turn on two fans to assist in the vaccine dispersal and return to Morden, who confirms everything seems to be working to plan. The patients are recovering and the Vorture are retreating. Morden finally agrees to join Shepard back on the Normandy and decides to leave his assistant in charge of his clinic on Omega, the very same assistant we saved from the Batarians earlier. We're not done on this hollowed out space rock just yet, and we still need to find and rescue Archangel from the attacking mercenary groups. Shepard heads back to Afterlife to speak to the recruiter who allows us to join the mercenaries in their attack on Archangel. As we walk off, we see a fresh-faced recruit approaching the officer and asking to sign up to the fight. At this point, Shepard can make the decision to point the greener than green lad in the direction of where to sign away his life, or have a chat with him to see if we can help him. I, as the Paragon, talked him out of it, and he sort of gave me a bit of lip, but then I just really simply, like, disarmed him and deactivated his gun. And he was like, you'll thank me later. Right, okay. And then, uh, yeah, the guy just walked off. And I got a lovely little email later on from him saying, oh, thanks, mate. You stopped <laughs> making the greatest mistake of my life. I decided to take up a, a career in fine cuisine. Something like that. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it's something like, it's like I'm going to help people now. What did your character do here in this situation? You, like, call him a pussy and run off or something? <laughs> No, uh, so this was actually one of those situations where I did, out of curiosity, start to pursue a slightly paragon route where I did actually turn around and uh, ask him just how old he was. But then the moment he said that he was old enough and got his gun out and started waving it around, I basically said, yeah, sure, kid, the, uh, the recruitment place is over there. And let him get on with it. After making our choice, we head to Omega's transit hub before departing to the district where Archangel is located. The Merc forces have him pinned down in a location, and their plan of attack is to use the recruited Mercs to attack a nearby bridge and act as a distracting meaty decoy whilst the actual gangs plan their real attack. As we work our way through the following area, we are provided with an opportunity to reprogram a large cyborg robot's targeting systems, which could come in handy later if they try to deploy it against Archangel during their attack. Shepard and the gang work their way through the next area and meet with a battalion called Sergeant Kafka, who is Helping with the assault. So at this point in the game, I'm actually provided with one of those renegades disruption opportunities where I can actually take a nearby stun tool that he's been using to repair gunship that he's working on. And I use the stun tool to incapacitate him. And then I think at this point, I can actually avoid the whole bridge assault in the game. And I kind of skip to just outside the whereabouts of where Archangel is located. I'm wondering, James, seeing as you didn't take that action in the game, did you have to fight your way across the bridge? Or did you kind of shortcut to the same area as well? I, I don't recall having to fight across the bridge other than I just walked over and then started killing the mercenaries. Shepard and co. work their way towards Archangel as the fight erupts all around them. We even see the young wannabe soldier get mowed down if we didn't talk him out of joining the fight back at the recruitment kiosk and we fight through a small group of unsuspecting mercenaries, meaning our cover is now blown and will be attacked by the gangs and mercs in this area now. As we arrive to help Archangel, we make a surprising discovery. The best reveal ever. I loved this the first time I played it. Archangel is in fact none other than our old friend Garrus. Shepard. I thought you were dead. Garrus, what are you doing here? 
It's great to see a friendly face after so long, but our reunion is cut short by another attack, and Shepard and their team must defend against hordes of attacking mercs and droids. If we chose to hack the heavy droid previously, we can turn the tables on some of our attackers during this fight, and we then need to maintain the defence by closing a series of shutters to prevent enemies from continuing the assault, before heading back to Archangel, who will now be referred to as Garrus, to defend another wave of enemies. During these various assaults, we even managed to wipe out Jaroff, the leader of the Eclipse mercenary group, and Garm, leader of the Blood Pack. We still can't escape, however, as we now have a Blue Sun's gunship attacking us from outside, along with waves of more troops coming in to attack us from close range. Using our array of weapons and the combined biotic abilities of our party, we managed to destroy the gunship, but not before Garrus is seriously injured and requires an emergency evacuation to the Normandy. With our missions on Omega now complete, we head back to the Normandy to be welcomed by a badly bruised but otherwise fit and healthy Garrus. But he's all good thanks to Cerberus's medical facilities aboard the Normandy and our good pal Dr. Chakwa, so we didn't really give much love to in the first episode, but she's back, serving on the Normandy once more. Garrus is shocked to hear Shepard is now working for Cerberus, but Shepard reassures him that they are working together for the mutual benefit and to fight the greater evils of the galaxy. Our mission now is to recruit the convicts, located on a prison ship called Purgatory. We set off in the Normandy with our three new crew members and go to our next destination. On arriving in Purgatory, we are ordered by the guards to relinquish our weapons to maintain security in the prison. My renegade Gillian Shepard isn't keen to hand over her guns, and instead offers to relinquish a bullet into the location of the prison guard's choosing. And my Shepard just straight up said, nah, I'm good. I'm not giving you my guns. Oh right, so even then you still get to... So there is actually a lot of choices in this game where they have almost exactly the same outcome. I was... Well, I wouldn't call this one a choice. This is a scripted event. You just choose how you handle it. Yeah, but there's, there's, there's more of those in there than I perceived, actually, listening to how you've been playing and some of the experiences that we've had. They're a lot closer than I perceived they might be if I was to choose the uh, Paragon options instead. After a stare-down between Shepard and the Turian prison warden called Kuril... The boss relents and allows Shepard to keep hold of their weapons. Cerberus has agreed to pay Warden Kuril a large amount of credits on the release of the convict known as Jack. Jack has clearly built quite a reputation in her short time in the prison, and most people in the ward we talk to refer to her as mad, extremely violent, and very bloodthirsty. We are taken on a tour of the modular mega prison before being led into a room where we await Jack who is apparently undergoing cryogenic defrosting. This whole arrangement was a ruse though. Warden Kuril was never going to let Jack go free and instead wanted to capture Commander Shepard in order to keep him captive and demand credits from Cerberus, and potentially the Alliance as well. Shepard doesn't respond well to the news that Kuril is trying to take them hostage, and a large firefight ensues following Kuril sending in guards and Blue Sun's mercenaries to attack and apprehend our group. Good job we've got our guns, eh? We blast the path of destruction through until we can finally pull Jack from the sealed cryogenic freezer using a control panel. Jack exerts her unleashed rage, destroying a group of heavy mechs with nothing but her bare hands and insanely powerful biotic abilities, before running off, smashing a hole through the wall in the process to make her escape. We continue the fight, pursuing Jack and eventually confronting the traitorous warden and putting an end to his extortive practices. We finally corner Jack as she kills yet more guards, preventing her from escaping. Shepard explains to Jack that we are her only way off this prison, especially now her escape has caused serious damage to the rapidly failing prison ship. Jack agrees, but only after we agree to let her view the confidential files around Cerberus's past. You want me on your team? Let me go through those databases. I'll give you full access. Shepard, you're not authorized to do that. Oh, it upsets the cheerleader. 
even better. So at that point, we leave the doomed prison ship and head back to the Normandy with Jack in tow so that we can move on to our next mission, which is recruiting our next team member, the Warlord, who is a Krogan who also goes by Akir. We arrive on the planet where we fight past the Blue Sun's troops as we hear a female voice echoing over a loudspeaker. An injured merc tells us that the voice belongs to a woman called Jador, who hired our wanted warlord to build her a Krogan army. But, according to the merc, all the soldiers the warlord Okir creates turn out feral and are violently insane. We battle with more Blue Sons before finally arriving at Warlord Okir's lab. It turns out Okir isn't actually totally loyal to Jador. Each of the Krogans he provides to Jador are actually rejects from Okir's secret project to create one true ultimate Krogan warrior. Okir believes that Krogans are becoming weaker with the passing of each generation and wants to create a perfect Krogan that is capable of leading the galaxy. Okir has achieved his goals and beside him sits a single Krogan in a glass container who he claims is the culmination of all his attempts. As we begin to plot our escape with Okir and his fully grown test tube baby, Jador orders troops to attack and begins gassing the facility. Shepard and his crew head out to defeat Jador and her band of mercenaries and Krogan rejects. After the battle with Jador is won, we return to the room where Okir was located, but unfortunately it's too late. Okir has succumbed to the gassing and is now lying dead next to a monitor with a pre-recorded message that he left us. He tells us to take his prototype, and ultimately his legacy, back to the Normandy. So back we go. And back on board the Normandy, Jacob and Miranda are arguing over whether to open the sealed pod that is holding the prototype Krogan although the decision will ultimately be left up to us. Before we are left with too much time to think about our choice, we are summoned for a meeting with the elusive man, who tells us that they have detected signs of collectors on a nearby planet called Horizon. Our Salarian scientist, Prof Morden, has developed a countermeasure that will stop the collector swarms from attacking and paralysing the team once they land. We are also told that one of our old crew members from the first game is actually stationed on Horizon, none other than Caden Alenko, the Loyal Alliance Officer. That's Commander Alenko now. It is Commander Alenko to you, yeah, yeah, you know, answers. Yeah. He's, he's gone up in the world. I really didn't appreciate sharing a rank with uh, my lackey from yeah. the last game, I've got to say. I need to be Super Commander Shepard now or something. Yeah, uh, you're Spectre Shepard. Spectre Shepard. Yeah, are you still a Spectre in this game or? Uh, you haven't gone to the sister yet, so no. I'll get, for the second week in a row, I'm going to say. So let's we'll get to that. To talk <laughs> okay. about it at some point later. <laughs> I love that you just haven't you f***ed off the council. That's brilliant. Oh mate, absolutely. <laughs> Got no interest. Well, I mean, given my performance on Mass Effect One as well, where I was constantly yeah. like hanging up the phone in the middle of conversations. Yeah, with I know them, it's great. This is very fitting for my character. Yeah. It's just a massive unapologetic snub of any sort of authority figure outside the current guy that I'm working with. <laughs> love it. Love it. So it's pretty obvious by this point we're no longer working for the Alliance now, and Cerberus is considered an unfriendly faction by our old bosses, so things with Caden might be a little uncomfortable if we actually go ahead and meet him. As we arrive on Horizon, we are greeted to a scene where Caden Alenko is walking with a woman called Lilith, before they are all attacked by the bug-like swarms of insects that capture humans by stinging them and paralysing them, ready for collection which I have to call out a mistake I made last week. I incorrectly said they were robot insects, and they're not. They might have some synthetic in there, but... Yeah, they're pretty much like a, a hive mind alien race, aren't they? Yeah. We saw the devastation these swarms can inflict on Freedom's progress in last week's episode. Good thing Morden has provided a way to avoid getting stung by them. To make matters worse, a large collector ship resembling the one that destroyed the original Normandy vessel has landed on the planet and is allowing a powerful collector known as the Harbinger to begin their attack. 
Shepard assembles a team before departing, ready for a fight. Shepard and the team fight past collector drone husks, which look like upgraded versions of the drones that the Geths had created in the last game by impaling corpses of humans on giant metal spikes. However, it does become clear that these husks aren't made from the inhabitants of Horizon, as there were no conversion spikes anywhere in sight. The collectors must have brought them to the planet instead, and they clearly want the colonists on this planet for another purpose. But what for? We also battle some actual collectors this time who occasionally become possessed by the Harbinger, a mysterious entity on board the ship, leading him to spout his deluded rhetoric around taking over the galaxy. We learn from a local mechanic who we find hiding in a locked building that the Alliance had installed large protective cannons in the event of an attack, but the ground team was never able to make the gun's targeting system actually work, essentially leading to them being large hunks of useless metal sat on the ground on the planet. Shepard heads to the targeting controls and radios into the Normandy, asking them to take control of a turret using ED's artificial intelligence to interface with the controls. Shepard defends the transmitter from waves of collector husks and a new type of enemy called a scion, which is basically a f***ing mega husk that fires biotic abilities at you and can hit you even in cover. It's very irritating. Yeah, it's kind of like, it looks like you've just got a bunch of husks and kind of melted them together. There's like yeah. one set of legs, but the rest is like, uh, is like a kind of a And one emerged. head, weirdly. Yeah, there's a head sticking out at a weird angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty gnarly and it's got quite a lot of health. Another new enemy called a Praetorian appears as well and flies around the arena, burning through our shields with focused blue laser beams. During this mission, we also acquire a beam weapon of our own, the Collector Heavy Rifle or something, I think it's called, which we can swap out with our grenade launcher that we got at the start of the game. The beam weapon proves very useful in dispatching the ceaseless swarms. With the cannons now online and beginning to fire heavy shots at the Collector ship, it begins to depart from the planet, raising up into the sky and escaping from the reach of the heavy cannons, and crucially, not having managed to take every single colony member with it. So at this point, we are actually reunited with Caden, who somehow managed to not get picked up by the Reapers. Despite getting caught by the swarms. Despite getting caught by the... Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, yeah. yeah, that's all a little too convenient. I'd like a bit more of an answer there as to how he got away. That made me distrust him, actually. Yeah, I've got to be honest. And I, think, and I think that woman, Lilith, does get caught by the swarm. Yes, and he's with and she her was, like, the whole next time. To him. Yeah, exactly. How did this happen? I think she runs like three or four paces behind him. Very sketchy, Caden. And that sort of plot hole in the game leads me to kind of feel like there's maybe something significant in that. Although I feel like that, after speaking to you, the fact that you haven't suggested there is makes it less likely. But but, but maybe I'm just saying that because uh, I don't want to maybe, spoil it for Yeah, you. maybe, maybe. No, I, I just can't believe it that Caden's going to be a piece of shit. It's too straight flying. He's a wet blanket, mate. That's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, it would be a goddamn twist of the year if it did turn out that Caden was actually, like, uh, working with Shepard all along and was, uh, yeah, like, you know, an undercover double agent for the Reapers or something. That'd be some revelatory shit, you know? Well, let's revisit this at the end of Mass Effect 3. Caden is actually pleased to see Shepard, although much like many of the crew members we knew in the first game who we encounter in Mass Effect 2, he is completely shocked to both find us alive and kicking, and also working for people who were considered enemies in the past. Caden wants to believe us, but his allegiance to the Alliance prevents him from joining Shepard and tackling the real threat. Caden tells us he needs to head back to the Citadel and report on what has happened on the planet, and Shepard, having had enough of this colony for one day, radios into the Normandy for departure. So at this point, we arrive back on board the Normandy and are summoned into the comms room to have a meeting with the elusive man. 
The elusive man at this point congratulates us on the success of our mission. We discuss a little bit about the potential suspicions of the origins for the Collectors and the Reapers. And at this point, he provides us with three more dossiers to recruit members into the squad. Join us next week where we look for more crew members, take more steps in order to uncover the mystery of the Reapers, and hopefully blast a whole lot more Collectors. But with that said, James, we're done for Completionist Corner for another week and it's time to round off the episode. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthrough stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pod Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. With all that said, guys, thank you very much for listening this far into the episode. A last and final humble reminder to our listeners that if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the various social media platforms that we've listed just now. It really helps to boost the signal of the podcast, and we're really looking to increase our reach as well as provide a whole lot more content for you guys in the future. So with that said, we really appreciate the support that we've received so far, and we look forward to seeing you guys in the next episode. Goodbye.